a break from Book of James for a little while, and now we are returning back to Book of James. Let me just say a word of prayer, and then I'll read the text to you. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the blessing that you have uh, poured forth upon our lives. We thank you for so many things. Forgive us. Many times we complain too much when we are surrounded by so much blessings. Uh, this morning at prayer meeting, I was just saying that we thank you for good night rest. There are so many people in this world do not have good night rest. Many people can't sleep at night. We have uh, too much worries and concerned, uh, whether emotionally or mentally. And there are in the Melbourne Street uh, people who are so cold, homeless people who have, don't have a good night's sleep. And yet we have a warm bed and a warm uh, quilt and, and heater and and all these things that given to us. We thank you for many things. Help us to learn to count our blessings uh, with all that you've given to us and that we should complain less and always be grateful and be thankful for all that you've given to us. May you be with us and bless our time together as we study your word. Uh, may your word continue to lead and guide us in an age of relativism, in an age where we place so much emphasis on our own reasoning, our own deduction, our own experience, our own thinking, and sometimes we place all these things above uh, the authority of God's Word. Uh, help us to let your Word guide us and govern us, and not our feeling or emotions that lead and guide us. Bless our time together. We ask this sincerely. In Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 1, 19 to 27 is the text that I would like to read to you. But before that, let me just remind you the book of James. Uh, uh, James has one concern. Uh, if you read through the book of James, it's only uh, five chapters. Uh, you can read it in about 15 minutes. He has only one concern. This one theme must guide you as you read through the book of James. And that is authentic faith. He is concerned about genuine faith. He is concerned about authentic faith, real faith, that will translate into behavior. Uh, that is why he is very strong. He, he, he kind of very... In the situation that he was in, he's seeing many people profess themselves to be Christian, but they don't live that kind of life of a believer. And so he wants to ensure that his believers get this message, this authentic faith, real faith, genuine faith. And that is his concern. And he started out by saying that uh, everybody go through trials. He said, genuine, genuine faith, you, you won't fall away during trials. And that is why he started out, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because he said, no, 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 Christian, you have to see trials differently. You have to see trials from a biblical anger, because trials produces something wonderful in our lives. And so you should not turn away, you should not turn away from God, because you go through difficult times in your life. And true faith, authentic faith will stay there as a believer. You won't turn away because you, God didn't meet your, answer your prayer or something like that. You, know, you, don't, you don't do that because Christians see and view trials differently, he says. As uh, John Calvin would say, only the, a storm will reveal the truth. 
true piety is not fully distinguished from its counterfeit till it comes to the trial. Trial does not reveal, they say always trial makes a man, right? They say, you know, difficulties make a man. They say, no. People say trials make a man. No, trials reveal a man. It, it helps you to see where you are in a sense. And so James begins by saying genuine faith see trials differently and properly. They don't blame God. As he move on to, is a genuine faith will not fall away when you are tempted. Temptation to fall away, temptation to walk away. As the Bible says, their hearts, our hearts are often prone to wander away. And so now in this section, uh, James continues this theme on genuine faith that talks about the Word of God. And as I read through this, straight away two, two points will come out. And that is proper reception of God's Word and proper response to God's Word. Uh, another test of genuine faith is how do you receive God's word? And this is a theme in this passage that I want to read to you. And then from there, I'll give you the two points and then I'll sub points along that. You should be able to finish and have a cup of tea very soon. Uh, let me just read uh, verse 9. But before I read verse 19, uh, verse 18 set the context to say that in this section of verses 19 to 27, it is God's word in that context. Because he closed off by saying he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. That we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Remember, James is writing to Christians. He's not writing to non-Christian. He is writing to Christians and therefore he can very strongly rebuild. He said, well, you know, you, you are a believer. You have been chosen and he gives you gives birth through the word of truth. You've already experienced the power of the word. You already know that the word is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You have already experienced in your conversion, in your salvation, in the power of the power of the word of God. You already know that the scripture can make you wise under salvation. You already know that you have already experienced that because you were born of the truth. You know the gospel is the power of God from both to the Jews and to the Greek, to whoever believes. So you already heard the word. You are already a believer. You respond to God's word. You have already experienced its power. And now because you already know that, my brother, I want you as the trust of this to continue to receive the word of God. And that is where it comes down to this part of how do we respond how the proper reception to God's word and proper response to God's word. He said, therefore, since already you know, since you respond to God's word, since you experience God's power through the word in your life already, he said, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. See, the context is God's word. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. It's ridiculous, isn't it? But whoever looks intensely into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceives themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The context is God's word. And so I want to give you two headings. The first, the first heading is proper reception of God's word. Proper reception of God. So how should we receive God's word? That is from verses 19 to 21. Two, three verses there gives us three points on the correct way of receiving God's word. But before I proceed to those points, let me just give you the setting a little bit. You know, we have an order of service. You come to church, Wes will stand up here, welcome you, and then say a word of prayer. We sing two songs, and then we give announcement, and then we have offering, and then we have communion, we have communion otherwise, and the preaching of God's word, and then we close off with a song. That is the order of service. That is how we, we kind of put it together as we believers come together. But in the early church, at that time of James, it's not like that. They don't have this kind of order of service they have an order, but their order is a bit loosely kind of way of uh, ordering the service. A little bit like uh, uh, anybody, anybody here from a background of the Brethren community. I know uh, David and Dorothy from, from that and Brethren community or, or Gospel Halls. They, uh, and then, of course, you have closed brethren, open brethren, and you have a, one side of women putting scarf and, and the other side. So, you know, it, it's, when, I, when I first came to uh, Australia in 1996, uh, I have a classmate who lives in Yakadanda, just near uh, Wudonga, Yakadanda. Uh, and, and I went up there to stay over the weekend, and we went to their church. And their church is a, is a, is a brethren community where the service, they will sing and then come to, there is, there's no pastor. And uh, when come to a time of edification or sermon time, everybody has a chance to stand up. Uh, if you have a word, you want to read from a passage of scripture, and then you read, and then sit down, another person will stand up, and that's how they do service as they come together. So it's a little bit like that in James' community at that time. People have a word, they'll stand up, they'll read something, they'll share something, and they'll sit down, another person will stand up. Is that what it is in the Brethren community? It is. Uh, some uh, 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 community still, still does that in a sense. Um, and 
And in that context, of course, it generates a lot of issues sometimes because this person stand up and say something, the other person not happy, and the person will stand up again and counter the other person from saying this, and it goes on and on and on. So instead of a platform of encouragement and building up the body of Christ, it becomes a kind of fighting games. I disagree with you. Up and down. We see that all too in various kind of settings in Christian circle. And that is where James comes in and says, my dear brothers and sisters, this ought not to be. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Of course, if you don't have that context, you would think that James is giving a normal advice on, on socially and all that. We should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, which is, of course, uh, true in that sense. But uh, we, we see it elsewhere in Scripture that tells us about that. For example, in Proverbs chapter 10, uh, verse 19, it says, When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Or Proverbs 17, 28 says, Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. So when you are silent, you consider wise. As they say, it's better to keep quiet and let people think that you are a fool than to op open your mouth and confirm it. And uh, so, so there is other kind of scripture that tells us about we have got to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and as a result, we are slow to become angry, which is, which is true. But in this context, these verses here is not talking about those social kind of situations. It's talking about God's word, that everyone should be quick to listen to God's word. And, uh, and here, literally, is, is kind of be, be really excited and long for, be quick to, to have every opportunity to listen to God's word. Be quick to listen. Literally, be quick to the hearing. Go to the lesson. Go to the sermon. Go to the class. Go to the exposition. Get where you can hear. Be quick to listen where there's any opportunity for God's word. Be quick to want to listen to God's word. Be eager to listen to God's Word. If there's any opportunity that we have, every morning I listen to God's Word. When I go for my walk, I either listen to Scripture read to me or I listen to a sermon preached to me. Uh, Sometimes I think preaching is still essential in an age where, where we prefer kind of everybody say something, but uh, preaching of God's Word provides a platform for God's Word to be proclaimed without challenge. Uh, sometimes through challenge, it, it kind of undermines the authority of God's word. And then Paul said, Paul no, no, in your community, you've got to be quick to listen to it. You're eager to hear God's word. It doesn't matter who is the one delivering it. So long as the word are being preached, uh, we should be eager in hearing God's word and slow to speak. Everybody has an opinion. It doesn't cost you anything to have an opinion. Some do, but a certain profession you might have, but in generally it doesn't. Uh, we are long on opinion, but very short on knowledge many times. And uh, he said we should be slow to speak, because speaking God's word sometimes uh, is tough. Even in James, he said that the teacher of God's word will be held higher in terms of judgment in the future. And so we will be quick to listen, slow to speak, 
and slow to become angry. Don't resist, rebel against God's word. Sometimes we get angry because we disagree. We are just angry with what God's word says to us. I remember last time in my uh, old church when we uh, teach in the Bible, there are quite a lot of young people there, and they often say, well, I just don't like the whole idea of because the Bible says so. You know, and say, I just don't like this idea just because the Bible says so, and therefore I have to follow the instruction of the Scripture. I have come to uh, recognize, even as a believer, as a Christian, uh, we can form many views on our own, our experience, our emotions, our own reasoning, our own thinking. And uh, at the end of the day, if my own reasoning, my own emotion feel this way and all that, and if it's contrary to what God's words say, I will forego my own reasoning and I will come under the authority of God's word. And one of the main reasons is because I'm a fallen creature. And when we are fallen, and we are seen from the start, every faculties in our lives are affected. Emotionally, we can feel wrongly. Intellectually, we can reason wrongly because we are fallen creature. And as best as we try, sometimes we still uh, fail. And therefore, I think it's a quick, safe bet to trust and believe in God's word and submit ourselves under the authority of God's word rather than go above the authority of God's word. And then he said, well, three things there. The reception of God's word is to quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Christians can get very angry over things that perhaps should make us angry. But they can get militant for morality, for upright, godly behavior. But that kind of approach, that kind of attitude, that kind of behavior won't establish what we want to establish when, we, when people try to respond or rather remove evil institution and establish righteousness by shouting, by demonstrating. I don't know whether they achieve anything at all. I don't see that at all in the scripture. Scripture always, even Daniel, against they don't want protest or whatever. He just quietly continued to do his work. And of course, the Israel Falau case has drawn many attention about uh, right or wrong. And I see Christian attacking Israel Falau and all that. But the issue, I think, at large is not so much of, I mean, I won't probably go to my neighbor, knock on the door and say, if you don't repent, you go to hell. I probably don't do these kind of methods. Uh, but the issue is not so much of his methodology, but the issue whether or not he has the right to do what he wants to do. And that, I think, is the heart of the issues that uh, we, I may not agree with his methodology, uh, as all of us are wired differently. Some people are more confrontational. Some people are through act of service. Some people through act of kindness. Some people through help, through love. There are many ways that Jesus do evangelism as well. Sometimes he confronted the Pharisees. Sometimes he speak nice words to, to, to the, the Samaritan woman that we heard about last week. He has used all kinds of methods uh, in order to reach someone. And... and Sometimes different methods work for different people. Uh, 
differently in a sense. So we should accept and receive God's word. If we do not, then uh, you become angry, we rebel against God's word, and when we rebel against God's word, we don't receive God's word in the correct light, then it won't produce the goodness and righteousness that God desires of us if we constantly rebel against God's word all the time. And then he went on to say, Well, therefore you get rid of all moral fill and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Get rid of all this kind of rebelliousness in you to go against God's word. And the Bible called that moral fill. And that is so evil that is prevalent in, in you, you know. Uh, and he's addressing to Christians. James is referring to Christian. No, no, don't fight against God's word. It is there for you that will save you. When you receive God's word in the correct light, when you humbly accept the word planted in you, it can save you, it can change you, it can completely transform your outlook of life and, and many things that will guide you to the right path. And so James is saying, well, the proper reception is you be slow to, be very quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry and allow God's word to sit in your heart. Submit yourself to His word with pure heart and humble attitude. And so if you want a one line on this point, on the proper reception of God's word, it is a submissive, pure heart with a humble attitude. That should be a proper reception of God's word when you either at your Bible study or hear the word being preached or, or listening to sermon over the internet or reading your Bible or devotional material, that attitude should always characterize us as believers when we come to God's words. So let me just move on to the second point now. So that is a proper reception of God's word and that is a submissive, pure heart with a humble attitude. And the beautiful things that which can save you which can save you. God's word can save you when you allow it to take root and flourish and grow. So let me just move on to the second point, which is a proper response to God's word. Now that you have received God's word with a submissive and pure heart and humble attitude, how should we then respond to God's word? And here, uh, James goes on to explore. Uh, as we have already read just now, uh, not just be hearers of God's word, but be doers of God's word. He said, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Let it flow through into your life and not just only intellectually digest it. This morning, as we were just uh, praying at a prayer meeting, uh, and Jim talks about the Bible that's been translated after 70 years. And then he prayed and he said, well, we have so many. Did you know that we, have, do you know how many version, maybe not version, how many translation of the Bible we have in English language? How many of you are reading NIV? How many of you are reading RSV? Not many. Well, King James Version. In America, uh, King James Version is still the most popular version. 
Interestingly, King James Version, you got New King James Version, you got a Revised Standard Version, you got New Revised Standard Version, you have NIV, maybe you got NNIV, I don't TNIV, uh, you have uh, New Living Translation, you got Good News, you got Amplified Versions, uh, you have all kinds of, uh, you got Bible for women, Bible for youth, and Bible for uh, widow, or what, I don't know, you know, all kinds of uh, uh, versions that is available. Uh, if you go to Kurong and now you go to internet, you can get even more. And that is why Howard Hendricks, uh, he says this in his book, Living by the Book. He said, many Christians are like poor photographs. You know what's a poor photograph? They are overexposed and they are underdeveloped. He said, many Christians are like poor photographs. They are overexposed but they are underdeveloped. They have had plenty of input from the Word of God, but what difference has it made in their lives? And then he went on to say, the great tragedy of modern evangelism is in calling many to believe, but few to obedience. And here, James is saying, all while, do not merely listen to the Word of God and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Immediately forget what he looks like. Is it possible? Is it possible that you look into the mirror in the morning and try to clean up your, you know, make your hair nice and your face and all that? Is it possible? I know a man who at the Bible college came in the morning. He actually came with some uh, shaving cream on one side of his face because he said as he was shaving halfway, his phone rang and then he thought he was done and, and, uh, and he... He forgot to look back into the mirror and, and clean it all up. And here, James is saying, well, you have to be doers of God's word and not just hearers of God's word. He said, but whoever looks intensely into the perfect law that gives freedom. I like that phrase, that gives freedom. Because oftentimes when we think about law, we often think of bondage. You know, law is often seen like, oh, there's a law there, you have to obey, therefore you're being deprived of something that you actually want to do. You know, law is there to, to restrict you, to deprive you of something that you like to do. But I tend to see uh, uh, God's word law is differently. The law that gives freedom. You know, we, all of us, Australia is a, is a sports-tossing nation. We all love to play sports. Can you imagine... If foodie game has no boundary, would sports be fun if there's no boundary? I think it's ridiculous. If I play badminton, which is my game, if I play badminton, there's no boundary. I mean, what's the fun of playing badminton where there's no boundary? And the boundaries actually, it doesn't restrict, it actually gives you fun and joy in, in the game. Sometimes I walk at a Malam Malam uh, trail there, and I saw Jim and Ruth once before. Uh, um, as I walked there, there's this uh, childcare place. There's this fence across it. 
And sometimes as I begin to walk, there will be some balls there, some toys right below, and then they will shout at me to ask me to toss it back to them, and I always do that. And I was wondering, I look at the boundary, why is there a boundary for these kids? Uh, is it to deprive them of any fun, or is the boundary there actually to help them to maximize fun and joy within the safety of the confinement? Uh, I think uh, God's word is like that. Because of our sinful hearts and all that, some boundary is good for us to, to enjoy what is within there. And so, but whoever looks intently into the perfect, perfect law that actually gives freedom, that actually gives freedom rather than the other way around. And then, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Again, emphasizing uh, this, the, previously, he said the word that can save you, say when you actually put God's word into practice, you actually will be blessed in it. You'll be amazing if you cannot forgive this person, you obey God's word and you forgive that person, it brings a lot of freedom. You will no longer have bitterness or resentment in you. You'll be set free from all this bondage of anger and resentment and bitterness in you because you obey God's word that brings freedom. As Corey Tambun would say, when you forgive someone, you set the person free and then you discover that the person is yourself. And it moves on. James specifically said there are three ways you can actually be sins and evidence in your lives in the way that you to respond to God's word. Three ways in verse 26 to 27. First and foremost, your conversation, which is your tongue. Your tongue. It says here, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. You claim to be a believer or disciple of Christ, and yet you have no control over the tongue, which in James chapter 3, he will explore the whole section on that. We won't touch very much on that. We reserve it in uh, uh, chapter 3 when we come to it later on. But here he just said, those who, you, the way you respond to God's word, truly believe, is first and foremost, you must learn your conversation. Control tongue. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. The word translated control comes from a word that means to put bridle in a horse's mouth. And that's why some translation mention that and others talk about keeping tight rein on your tongue. You know, some people just talk too much. They have too many opinions and they share them too quickly because they have an answer for everything and they have the gift of the clever put down. They wreak havoc wherever they go. Years ago, a friend told me as he instructed his team, as he shared something, he said, feel free to have no opinion about that. I think that's a good rule of thumb for all of us, isn't it? Feel free to have no opinion about that. We seem to think that all ideas are equal. Actually, all ideas are not equal. All human beings are equals, but ideas are not equal. There's such a thing called better ideas. 
or Ravi Zacharias will call it a uh, human being, we are egalitarian. Uh, ideas it should be elitism. There are better ideas. Uh, but in the age that we live in, we topple it around. All ideas are equal, but all humans are not equal. And so feel free not to have opinion at all. It's all right. And here are some signs of a controlled tongue. Some signs. Uh, maybe vulgarity, obscenity, indecent language, dirty jokes, off-color stories, pornographic language, racial or ethnic insults, humor meant to insult or to put someone down, angry outbursts, harsh words, mean-spirited commands, gossip, rumors. You know, they say Christian, they don't gossip, they just share prayer requests. Uh, rumors or false accusations, uh, imputing bad motives. I never cease to amaze why people should doubt another person's motive when you can't see. Uh, I'd rather give the benefit of doubt. Public criticism of your spouse or children. That is something that you are uncontrolled tongue. Uh, yelling and screaming, threats and intimidating commands, endless criticism, quick cutting command, cheap shots, talking too much, talking without listening. Or one philosopher will call it uh, the first duty of love is always to listen. If, if love has many duties, the number one duty is always to listen. Condemning others, exaggerating the thoughts of others, excusing un unkind words by saying, I was only joking. Uh, we have to control our tongue because the Bible says in Proverbs, the tongue has the power of life and death. Did you know that the average person speaks about 16,000 words a day? 16,000 words. That is an equivalent of 64-page book. You write a 64 pages of book a day. In one week, you will speak the equivalent of a 450-page book. In one month, you speak 480,000 words the equivalent of a book of 1,920 pages. Maybe Leo Tolstoy will, read, will write a book, War and Peace, or something like that, a thick book. And in one year, you speak 5.7 million words, which is roughly equivalent to four volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica. And we, if we stretch that over 70 years, the average person speaks about 403 million words, Roughly equal to entire 44-volume set of Encyclopedia Britannica multiplied nine times. Today, you will speak the equivalent of a 64-page book, and tomorrow, another book. The day after, another one. Imagine if someone reads the content of the book you are writing your tongue today. Would you give that book to someone else? Would you get it published? about how you speak to your spouse, how you speak to your children, about the offhand comments you make about your friends, about how you react under pressure, about the way you respond when you are criticized. Well, if that doesn't terrify you, it does terrify me. <laughs> if it doesn't terrify you at least a little bit, then you are either a saint far advanced beyond the rest of all of us, or you are clueless about yourself. Your self-awareness is not even there. And so it is a reminder uh, f 
for me, first and foremost, that I'm writing a 64 pages of book today with my tongue. And David Pluck, an American preacher, points out that social media increases the temptation of careless words or careless speech. And this is what he says. In a day of text messaging, email, mobile phones, Twitter, blogs, Facebook, etc., we need to be careful. We have created an entire culture that says if you have a thought, then you should immediately share it with the rest of the world. But follower of Christ, don't buy that line of reasoning. And James here draws a shocking conclusion when he says the unbridled tongue makes your religion useless. And may the Lord Jesus grant us special grace so that we might keep a tight rein on our tongue. So the first one uh, in responding to God's word is our conversation. Uh, Second one is your compassion. Your compassion, which is a caring heart which is a caring heart. This is what he says here in verse 27. He says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. I'm an orphan. My father died when I was 10 months old and my mother died when I was 9 years old. I don't have a parents. But thankfully in a church, there are many parents around in my, in my home church that I can call parents. I can call them my mother, my father. And in Asian culture, we don't call people by name. Everybody is your aunties, you know. And one, one uh, Asian guy at my service said, it's very good to attend the Asian church because I don't have to remember their names, you know. <laughs> Everybody, I just call uncle and aunties, you know, that's it, you know. But that is our culture, you know. It's a family event, community kind of setting. Everybody older than you, you don't call them by name. And when I first, uh, my, my friend from Indonesia came at Bible college, and when he met the principal, David Price, he always called him David, uh, Dr. Price or Professor Price or uh, Dr. Price and, 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 and David Price with his humility looked at him and said, call me David. He said, no, 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 I can't call you David. Dr. Price, Dr. Price. He said, then don't call me. He said, then don't call me. Okay, David, he said. <laughs> uh, that is our culture. Uh, older people, you just don't address them by names. You just don't do that. Everybody's your uncle and aunties and, and even if you sign a wedding card, you put auntie so-and-so, uncle so-and-so, even though it is not your real uncle. Uh, the Bible says, well, another way that you can respond to God's word is through your compassion, caring heart. If you want to know whether a person is a doer, listen to what they say and watch how they deal with people in need. You see the love of Christ in a doer of God's word. You see sacrifice, you see compassion. You see kind-heartedness, you see tenderness, you see mercy, you see grace. True religion moves us to action. We don't just see the need and then walk away after saying a few good words. Bob Roland pictures the problem in his poem, Listen, Christian. He says this, I was hungry and he formed a humanities club and discussed my hunger. Thank you. I was imprisoned 
and you crept up quietly to your chapel in the cellar and prayed for my release. I was naked, and in your mind you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick, and you knelt and thanked God for your health. I was homeless, and you preached to me of the spiritual shelter, of the love of God. I was lonely, and you left me alone to pray for me. You seem so holy, so close to God, but I'm still hungry. But I'm still naked. I'm still sick. I'm still homeless. I was still lonely. Uh, we can never substitute another church service or even more Bible reading for rolling up our sleeves and getting involved in this hurting world. And right from the start, even in the Old Testament, uh, in Exodus 22, uh, the Word of God said, Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. Uh, Isaiah chapter 1, Defend the cause of orphans, fight for the rights of widows. Uh, Zechariah 7, do not oppress the widow or the orphan because widows had little legal protection in the first century. And that's why Jesus in Mark chapter 12, verse 40, he exhorted the religious leaders who devour widow houses while making long prayers as a show of public piety. And so we got to think of that, of... Uh, looking after this kind of people in our community. God bless those who care for the widows. Uh, God bless those who minister to the single mothers. And God bless those who take in foster children, adopt children. God bless those who care for the disabled. God bless those who give support to orphans, maybe in India or in China or somewhere. And God bless those who speak up for the unborn. The religion that God approves cares for those who cannot care for themselves. And of course, it doesn't end widows or orphans, uh, even the sick, the dying, the homeless, the disabled, the immigrants, the victims of sex trafficking, prisoners, refugees, and many other things that we want to talk about. We've got no time to go into detail. And the third one that uh, shows that you are doers of God's word, not just your conversation, your compassion, but also your character, your character. It says, and to keep oneself being polluted by the world, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And that is a clean mind. Sigmund Freud used to say that uh, our thoughts are actions in rehearsal. Thoughts are action in rehearsal. Uh, what we put into our mind is actually rehearsing eventually what we would do it. And so we're going to protect our mind and not be polluted by uh, many things. We're going to guard our mind, not just only guard our mouth in our intake of food. Many people are health conscious, but we also have to uh, take note of what we feed into our mind. Uh, we've got to be careful on that because thoughts will translate into action. So there we go, uh, proper reception to God's word and proper response to God's word. There's a way to receive the word with submission, purity and humility and there's a way to respond to it by being doer of God's word and it show up in your speech, in your relationship and in your character. And that's why we do what we do here at church and may the Lord uh, bless each one of us 
are to uh, be doers of God's word. Father, thank you for your word this morning. May we uh, receive it with humility. May we not uh, be so quick to rebel uh, and attack. Uh, there's so many times we as preachers of God's word receive so much of this kind of things when we simply just state what the word of God says. Um, we pray that as believers, we will want to submit ourselves to the authority of your words rather than just to our own reasoning or how we feel, which becoming the chief dominant decision maker nowadays, how we feel. And we pray that we will submit ourselves to your word and we will respond and be doer of your word uh, in our conversation, uh, in our compassion, and in our character. May you bless this church, Lord, as we seek to be a beacon of light in this community for you. Amen.